When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another edition of our Memory Lane podcast here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. And very pleased to be joined now by somebody I go way back with from his days early on with the Altoona Curve franchise. He has been in baseball really forever. Bruce Tanner, uh, local guy from uh, out near Pittsburgh, grew up around baseball. His father was former Pirates manager Chuck Tanner. Bruce, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to join me, man. How are you today? I'm doing well, Corey. Thank you. How about yourself? Oh, Bruce, I am fantastic. Uh, we're in the middle of baseball season here as we speak. I, I this, this is a memory lane podcast. We share memories and, and favorite stories of, of folks during their career. But for, uh, for baseball fans that may not necessarily be familiar with what you're doing right now, what, where are you at in this stage? What kind of job do you have in the game at this stage, Bruce? I'm uh, a professional scout with the um, Detroit Tigers, and I'm currently in St. Louis watching St. Louis and Milwaukee play, and, and my uh, main coverage is the National League Central, and then I have their AAA teams, and then I have some of their AA teams as well. I absolutely want to get your thoughts on the role of scouts nowadays, just just how that has changed, what that role is. We're going to do that a little bit later on because I'm very intrigued by that okay. component just within the scope of, of, of the way baseball has changed in so many ways. So I, I want to get to, the, to that here in a bit. But, Bruce, I wanted to talk with you about kind of growing up in the game of baseball. You've been in baseball for more than 40 years in professional baseball as a player, as a coach, as a scout, all kinds of various roles. Uh, the, the, the first question I like to ask people is uh, the, the most loaded one, Bruce. What's your favorite baseball memory? Do you have one? Have you given it a lot of thought over all, the, all these years? You know, I, I think a lot of memories sometimes don't even involve yourself uh, but as far as involving myself, I, I think just standing on the mound and seeing Reggie Jackson or Rod Carew or people you idolize, Tom Seaver was one of my idols. And to walk into a clubhouse and he's one of your teammates and he sits down and talks to you on an airplane and says, this is what you need to do and this is how you need to go about it. And um, Carlton Fisk is your catcher. I mean, I don't know if there's one set memory, but when you – 
when you stand out there and there's Dave Winfield or, um, you know, like I said, Reggie Jackson or somebody like that, and you're going, holy cow, I, this is so surreal. I'm actually pitching against these people. <laughs> it, it really does go, wait a minute, I'm, I'm from a high school that graduated 100 people. Like, how did I get here type thing? So it is a it's a unique moment and it's one that you'll never ever forget in your memory bank. So how do you do that? Because look, we all grow up watching sports and, and, and idolizing these various people. So how do you get your mind to, to that competitive point when you're facing uh, somebody like that, some big name star, or does just the competitive juice kick in there? Like, like it would anybody else. Yeah, I, I think what happens, you're right, Corey, after a while, the more you do it, you, you're going, okay, he's just another human being, and how do I attack him, and how did they tell me that they're supposed to get him out, and will the catcher walk me through it? And, and because you're you're new to the situation, you're hoping that that catcher is going to put you in the best spot possible to get that individual out, and you it just becomes – it doesn't become a game anymore. It becomes almost like a chess match where, okay, if I do this and execute, chances are I'll have success. If he wants me to throw it outside and I throw it inside, chances are I'm not going to have success. So you, you, you do start blocking it out after a while, and they just become another human being. But the initial uh, look is way different because you're like, I've seen them do this a hundred times to other pitchers on TV and now he's doing the same stuff to me. And you're like, I used to mimic this guy in the batter's box. Now I'm watching him mimic it right to my face. And, and once you get beyond that, then you're okay. One of my favorite baseball movies is For Love of the Game with Kevin Costner. Have you seen that? Yes, that is a, good, that is a very good uh, movie. Tremendously underrated movie. We're actually recording this the day after uh, Ray Liotta passed away, uh, star oh, okay. Field of Dreams. So uh, Field of yeah. Dreams is one of my uh, all-time favorite movies, the baseball connection with my dad. But I wanted to ask you about For Love of the Game because Kevin Costner, as he's throwing the perfect game for the Detroit Tigers uh, at Yankee right. Stadium in the movie, he keeps saying, clear the mechanism. His, his way of drowning out all the noise from all the crazy fans in Yankee Stadium, he, he, he'll go clear the mechanism. And then all of a sudden, everything is just really, really quiet. Is that real? When you're on the mound, when you're, when you're playing a game, are, are you able to completely drown out all of the noise in, in, in some method like that? You know, you're, there are times that you're able to tunnel the game where you only kind of see a small circle of just the catcher and the mitt, and, and, the, and the hitter is actually like almost a mirage where he's not there. So you're just – there are times that your concentration level can get so high that you lock in on the mitt and the catcher and really nothing else. Um, but there's also times for whatever reason your mind will get a little bit scattered and you hear a heckler or you'll – you know, hear something else. But for somebody to say that they never hear a crowd, I, I find that amazing. I just even backing up a, a base, and, and there's 16,000 in the old kingdom in Seattle. It sounded so loud that it, it was it, it was almost deafening. And to watch, you know, Reggie Jackson pinch hit in Anaheim, and there's 40,000 40, people. And it just crescendos because they see him coming to the on-deck circle, 
and then 40,000 people just rise up, there's no way that you can block that out. And so, but I do think when you're on the mound, there are times where you can get so locked in that you don't really hear or see much, but I don't know how they do that all the time. I think the great ones probably can. I wasn't great, so I... So probably that's why I got distracted a little bit more. I want to go back to your youth. You you grow up in Newcastle, right? And that's correct. Did you were you a Pirates fan growing up? Did you go to a lot of games? What was it like for you to be so close uh, to the major league team? Uh, until my dad became the manager there, I didn't go to many games, but I was a big fan. I knew I could tell you every player on the team, you know, from you know, third all the way around the horn. Uh, I knew the pitchers. I watched whatever games I could on TV. I think at the time we only had three stations, uh, but they would be on, you know, I think once a week and you'd watch all the games. You listen to Bob Prince on the radio all the time. But then when my dad became the manager, then you're in the clubhouse with them and you're on the field with them and you're shagging and you're t- participating in batting practice not me performing but you're you're out on the field with you know all the other players and you're getting to know them and and honestly to this day the ones that are still around it's it's an incredible bond that that 79 team had They, they called it the we are family but honestly i see omar marino today and he comes up and talks to me and hugs me and it it doesn't matter rich gossage it doesn't matter who was around the Pirates, they, they all treat you like gold. And it, and it has to do with my dad, but it's amazing how they didn't forget a little kid back then. That's really a, a big part of, of what I wanted to discuss with you is just how much as a kid you were able to be around uh, your dad and, and the major league level versus kind of living your life. So, so you're born uh, in 19, uh, 1961. All right, your, dad, your dad's a major league player. He goes on to become a manager. I believe his first year as a manager was 1970 with the White Sox. What is it like, Bruce, to be a kid and your dad's either a, a player and then becoming a manager? What what was that dynamic like for you as, as a youngster? I think being that we were raised in such a small city and such a small town, it, it became like he was a dominant figurehead where I think if we were in a larger town, he would have kind of just uh, fit in with the community, but he kind of stood out in our community. And now what happens is your name kind of stands out so that when you play, oh, there's Chuck Tanner's kid. And that's all you remember. You're all through high school. All you were was Chuck Tanner's kid. You didn't even have a first name. And that went for my brothers as well. And so when you played, you did feel like there was a responsibility to go, okay, I got to be a little bit better because of who I'm trying to represent here. Um, but I will say, when you, in the summer times, when I, I was a bat boy for the Chicago White Sox, and when you're kneeling in the on deck circle and you're talking to Dick Allen and he's telling you about Wampum PA 
and he's telling you stories and he's calling you homie and, and you're watching this guy tell you stuff like, Hey, I'm going to hit a home run here. And then your dad's going to bring in Gossage and we're going to get the heck out of here. <laughs> and honestly, when you're sitting there and it happened, you're just like, Oh my gosh, this just happened. It, it was like the, you know, going in to see the sick kid in the hospital that somebody guarantees him a home run for him. And it, and it, and it happens. You're just like, Oh my gosh. I, you know, you start marveling at these people, and then that's how these people end up becoming idols of yours. When, when you see like stuff like this take shape, then you go to Pittsburgh, and you already know who Willie Sargio is, and then Dave Parker takes you under his wing, and he's like, oh, hey, come here with me and do this with me and uh, make sure you shag with me, and you're just like, oh, my, you know. And, and what, what is unbelievable is the more you do it, you realize they're no different than any of us because they don't treat you any different than anybody else. And honestly, it just became a normal way of life. And and I don't mean to dumb it down, but the more you're around it, the more it just became uh, a daily occurrence. And so you're a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old kid. So how do you balance that time, Bruce? Cause you still, you still got to go to school. You still got it. You're, you're playing baseball yourself. And then your dad is managing. Well, what's it, what was it like for you as a kid? How much time did you get to spend uh, at the big league ballparks? Actually, not very much. We, we would have a, a break in the summer where we'd go out and visit him in Chicago. Um, and then when his team would come through Cleveland, we'd drive over there. Um, but during the season, I did not see my dad much. And the same way, even in Pittsburgh, um, you know, we'd go to spring training and I'd have to get permission from my school to give me schoolwork. Um, and then I'd be gone for whatever, three or four weeks at a time. And then I'm starting to get involved in my sports. So it's hard for me to get to the stadium to watch any games really. And so during the course of a baseball season, I did not see my dad very much. Um, and, and I mean, we didn't get close until much, much later in his life because I didn't really get a chance to know the guy as well as I wanted to because he was always gone or working all the time. And, and I think I've seen that a lot with my children, with me, in the amount of time that I'm gone. It's, it's a difficult life. It's a rewarding life, but it's a difficult life because of the amount of the the least amount of time that you have to spend with your your overall family. Well, it's very poignant because I'm going to connect a couple of dots here, okay? Because you said everybody knows you growing up as Chuck Tanner's son, and I'm not to say that was any kind of burden, but but there might have been. Was there some pressure there? Oh, you definitely felt it. And, and I think, like I said, because of the community was so small, like I said, we graduated about 100 people in my class. You're playing against other kids that have graduated 100 people in their class. So you're talking about every team you're playing, everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. And so you knew the team that you were playing. You knew their brothers and sisters and mothers. So it, it was it was unique in that, no matter where you went, you were only driving 10 minutes away to play the other school. And yes, I would say there was additional pressure because when you didn't perform well, you know, there was a thing, oh, we beat Chuck Tanner's kid today. Yeah, we, 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 we won today or whatever it might be. And that involved any sport you played in. And, 
Um, so yeah, there there was a uniqueness there as far as that was concerned. And the element that you mentioned, I, I think there probably are, are kids who grew up in a lot of different ways. Maybe their parent was in the military or, or, or traveling a lot. It's hard to get to know um, the parent in, in uh, those kinds of situations because they are always gone. What was what was that like for you? Because you're playing your sports, and again, you're kind of known as. Chuck Tanner's son, but you don't get to see your. Did your dad get to watch you a lot? And what was was that? What what was that like for you growing up compared to when you mentioned that you were able to build a relationship or, and get to know him a lot more later on in life? Yeah, you know, he saw me play one game in high school, one game in four years in high school. It was a kind of a championship game down in the uh, Pittsburgh. We were trying to go to the state final, so and then. And then he got to see me play when I got to pro ball. He, he, I don't know that he ever got to see me play at Florida State. And then when I got to pro ball, I remember he had an off day and was able to drive up to Niagara Falls, New York, where I was playing. And he was able to see me pitch there. But um, he rarely ever was able to see me in person. Um, uh, that was a tough situation. My first major league start, he was in Pittsburgh. This is a unique story. He was in Pittsburgh with the Pirates. He's driving home, and we're playing in Seattle, so the game is starting really late. His game gets over. He's driving on his way home. He knows that we're about to get started. He knocks on a door of a total stranger who had a giant dish in their yard, and they open the door, and they see who it is, and he goes, my son's pitching on TV pretty soon. Can I come in and watch him pitch? He goes into the house and stays till about midnight or 1230 in the morning and then drives the rest of the way home uh, after watching me pitch on TV. Oh, my goodness. So that, that, I thought, was kind of a funny story. That is. But, uh, yeah, that uh, he, he never really did get to see me pitch much. I, I will say my mom was at every game. Um and, and, and she knew the game, and she, you know, she, if I ever threw a bat or a helmet or got upset, she's like, you'll never, ever play again. If you do that ever again, I will never take you to another game. You will never be allowed to participate in another game. So she was a disciplinarian, but at the same time, she, she was always there for me. And, and my brothers, some of my brothers were there for me, too, if, if, if I needed help along the way. So, uh, honestly, it, it was a collective effort but as far as he was concerned unfortunately he, he was unable to see me play very much let me ask you about baseball mom then bruce because my son is nine he plays in a couple of baseball leagues and and so i i coach one team and mom is always there my my little girl she's not so mom's always there sitting in the bleachers with my daughter there to support uh, our son and they're she's selling the 50 50 tickets and she buys right, the 50 50 right. tickets every and I see a lot of baseball moms and yeah the the baseball mom is a, is a special thing because the dad field of dreams everybody knows the dad story about the, you know how what was your what was your relationship like with your mom then if, if she's the one that is taking you to these games and being kind of the one that is is going to be your primary support system from the bleachers you know, one thing, you you know they're there, you know they're there supporting you, and, and honestly, it's huge, because if for whatever reason, and I don't ever remember a reason, if she couldn't be there, that, that would have been difficult for me, and 
Um, as a kid growing up, I think it's huge to have a support system at the game um, and to have a parent there I think is is really enormous. And I think that's wonderful that you and your wife are both involved. Um, but, no, honestly, I think parents are huge. I know that uh, my wife would go to my kids' games, but I was able to go to watch my kid play one time and he was pitching and he's standing right on top of the rubber. And I told my wife, what in the hell is he doing? And I I said, his foot's supposed to be in front of the rubber pushing off or whatever. And she goes, well, I don't know. He's been doing it like this all year. (laughs) So I go down to the coach. I go, why is he doing that? And, And the coach goes, we thought because it was your son. We thought that's what you wanted him to do. Oh my goodness. And I go, He's yours. Teach him the way you want him to be taught. Don't think that I have enough time when I'm gone to be able to work with my own child because I don't. I said, don't assume anything, so you please help him. And they're like, oh, okay. So that's the unfortunate part of, you know, being in, you know, being involved like that is going, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? But no, to go back to the mothers and the fathers both, I think it's huge to be involved in your kids' sports activities. It's the ones that get carried away, I think, that make things a little difficult for the child. Now, your dad managed until 1988, and you uh, pitched professionally from, I believe, 83 to 89 uh, in the big leagues, 85. When when did you – when would you say, Bruce, you were able to – really fully strongly connect with your dad um what was was it at any point during his managerial career was it after and how how did that how did were you able to kind of make up for some of those years i think when he started scouting we actually started scouting together we we would talk when i was a coach for the pirates for for the years that i coached from pittsburgh through 2001 to five he, he would come to a lot of games he was working with Cleveland at the time and Milwaukee, and he would he would go down and scout uh, games. So we would talk about the club and, and hey, what can you do better, you know that type of thing. But but he taught me just a lot of valuable lessons about uh, people, scouting players, you know what to look for and that type of thing. And I think it, during those years of coaching, and then when I started to scout in two thousand and seven. I think it, we started having a bond where in spring training we'd be at the same games and we would talk about things. And then, then I stayed at his uh, his house down in Florida and we would, you know, we would talk a lot. And I think that's uh, I think baseball brought us together. But then we also would go to dinner and there wasn't any baseball conversation. And and, and honestly, it sounds sad, but it was about. Here I am, born in 1961. It was about 2007 that I'm like, okay, I'm really starting to get to to know this guy a whole lot. But and, how fortunate! Know, and, how fortunate are you that you did have that time? I mean, some people might yeah. might go there and not might not even get to enjoy that part. So how fortunate that you are you that that you still were able to have those those connect connections later on in the years. And, and it was wonderful. It was what it's what what the public had seen all those years. I finally got to see it, and then some. You know, there was more beyond the the positivity and the 
but just the way I watched him treat people, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's incredible that he does this every day. And there were days he didn't feel good, but he never let that on to anybody. And people would walk away with a smile or, oh, you know, please tell your dad again. Thanks, you know, for coming to talk to us or whatever it was. I'm just like, man, he did kind gestures for people all the time. And that that was something that I learned and I watched and I thought it was very fulfilling for me to get to know him, uh, you know, towards the end of his life. I thought it was fantastic. circle now because you're 60 years old how, how many children do you have i have three and and what are their ages uh 36 a boy 36 and twin boys that are 32 so now you've been gone a, a lot of your life in baseball and, and working and everything what's that relationship been like with your sons did, did were you able to be uh, to ha- establish a little bit more of a connection early on or has it been a little bit later on in life with them as well kind of like with you and your dad it's been a little bit later on in life where now i'm starting to connect with all three of them with some recency and, and it's starting to pick up the pace where we're connected more but when i was working and gone so much i would be home in the winter time but then it's like hey can you go to instructional league can you go here and so again you were gone a lot and you know they're up in pennsylvania i'm in florida or i'm traveling to the various cities that i was in as far as coaching was concerned and more often than not they weren't real close to newcastle pennsylvania so it was hard for them to uh, come visit and they were also participating participating in sports so it was tough for them to get away but uh now i think we we've come to the to a portion now in our lives where it's it's getting a lot more uh it's getting much easier to connect and how how rewarding is that for you and for them at this stage Uh, it's probably more rewarding for me than them but i i'm getting a great deal of uh satisfactory now that i'm starting to get to know their um you know what they're all about which is something that quite honestly when they were younger i did not know um and now they tell me stories of what oh i did this at 16 and 18 and i'm like holy cow i wasn't even around to even know that you you know did some of those things so um it it, it is nice to start sharing some some moments with them and it's something that that i hope that i can build on uh you know, for the rest of my life as well. Baseball, being in sports can can be a, an incredibly rewarding career. You've been in, in professional baseball for 40 years, and, and I'm sure you have tons and tons of memories. But these are these are some other kind of real-life things. Do you talk to a lot of folks in baseball that maybe have similar stories to you, either other scouts that you're still with and or travel and see, or other, you know, coaches, uh, former players, managers, are, are, are a lot of stories – somewhat similar to yours in in the way that maybe they didn't get to spend a, a lot of time with their kids growing up as well? Yeah, I, I mean, just talking to some of our own scouts that are, you know, around my age or a little bit less, and, and you know, you go on the road. Timmy Conroy, he's from Pittsburgh. I'm with him right now. And, yeah, you, you do run into the same people that have the same thing, and they, they all pretty much say – say the same thing we we wish we would have had more time with our kids when they were 
when they were growing up as far as, you know, their participation in sports and being there a little bit more often and, and maybe being able to help them a little bit more. But um, we also say, hey, you can't look back and you got to look forward and, and provide opportunities for your families. And quite honestly, this is the only way I knew how at the time. You've been a scout now for what, around 15 years or so. And I am curious how that profession um, or how the duties in that profession have changed. Are, are, is it the same as it was when you started? Now that we've got all these metrics and all these analytics, and now the game is played so differently with the launch angle and exit velocity and everything at the big league level. How has your job as a scout changed? Uh, you know, it, it has changed a lot because they they used to be strictly reliant on us to go get a player or find a player or you know, tell me about his defense, tell me about his speed, you know, whatever it might be. Um, what, what do you project his power to be? Now we do have to learn, you know, a lot of the variety of the analytics that can benefit us. So now you're kind of combining some of the data that you see on a player with what your eyes see. But in the end, you still have to go by what you visually see and take your recommendation and say, this is why I like him. This is why he can help us. And when it's all said and done, yes, you do have to look at all the jargon. You know, I shouldn't say jargon, but you do have to look at all the different numbers that spew out on an individual. But the only thing about the numbers is that's what they are. They're numbers. They don't know the human being. And so what if we can get to know that human being a little bit, or a coach that might be coaching that human being and can tell us what the guy's like in the clubhouse or on the field and the guy's determination, that can give you that little edge that uh, can allow you to really recommend that kid a little bit more. Whereas in the past, if you said, I like player A, they're like, okay, that's good enough for me. Let's go get player A. Do you think there is a real strong future in professional scouting, Bruce, or does it diminish year over year over year to where 10, 15, 20 years from now, what what will those roles be? Yeah, you know what? I, I think you're always going to need them because they're a voice that is not just strictly stratomatic baseball or fantasy baseball. You're still going to need that person that goes, you know what? When the game's on the line, I want him pitching because he's got a big heart or he's tough or he's gutty and not just go, oh, well, his spin rate's 3,000 on his curveball. And now if the guy wilts when there's two outs, bases loaded, and he can't throw it over, he can't get the big out, oh, well, yeah, but look at his spin rate and look at his, you know, and his overall numbers are pretty good. Whereas you go into the stadium and you go, holy cow, he just went from 94 miles an hour with bases loaded, and now all of a sudden he's throwing 96, 97, and wow, did his stuff crispen up. Then you can go, boy, he, he dug a little deeper. That, that still is something that I still think you're going to need scouts later on because of the human element. And I want to go back, uh, backtrack again to 1979. You were about 17 years old or so uh, when the, the Buccos won the World Series in 79 with We Are Family. Is there yeah. a special memory or story 
about that team in particular. Did did you get to spend a little bit more time as the season went on or throughout the summer with that group and 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 any special memories about the World Series or anything? Yeah, you, you know, you, you developed like even to this day, Kent Tacolby and I can sit down and talk a really long time, or Grant Jackson, or Bill Madlocker. It, it just it was an amazing time. Um, you know, with Stargell and Ed Ott. I mean, just so many guys. Donnie Robinson, I can see him now down in Florida. And and we will talk for the longest time. And it might not even involve that team. That team had such a unique blend uh, of camaraderie that, like I said, they almost bring you in like you were part of it, even though you had nothing to do with it. But you were around the clubhouse a lot. And so they're like, oh, that's the, that's the, you know, that's the kid who was around the clubhouse all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and they bring you in as if you're one of the 79 people, and it, it is so rewarding for me just how these people that when you're 17 you look up to them. Meanwhile, you realize, geez, Donnie Robinson was a young kid back then, you know, doing some great things, and you're just like, wow, this is. But like I said, I I, I see these people and they treat me like gold. I see Manny Sanguian, and he goes out of his way to just be overly kind to me. I'm sure he's a kind guy to everybody, but it's just like, oh, my gosh, they, they treat you so good. Um, so I, I don't know if there was any one particular – I mean, sitting there and watching Game 7 in Baltimore and you're next to the president of the National League and stuff like that, and you're watching stuff unfold, and, I mean, that that is – a thrill of a lifetime that you'll you know you'll never get back a funny story about that game when it's over jimmy carter's the president of the time he goes over and they the secret service says hey we're gonna you're gonna congratulate earl weaver you know on a nice year so he goes over and he congratulates him and tells him congratulations on winning the world series uh. after they had just lost game seven mm. and they're like no no mr president we got to take you into the other locker room that other team won the World Series, you know. So I, I thought that was kind of – and then, you know, I'm jumping around in the background and all that stuff. But, yeah, I, I, I think that, that just that year in general was very fulfilling. When they got down 3-1 to one and my dad's uh, mom had died, I really felt bad for my dad because I could see his eyes were red. He was watery. Um, they had just won the fifth game, and I'm riding home with them to Newcastle from Pittsburgh – and I could just, you could feel the pain in his system, and he couldn't express it at all. And and I and I knew that he had to manage game six and seven, and that that was very difficult for him. Did you guys talk a lot about the World Series in the in the later years? Uh, because we, that's we did, yeah, we did um, to, to a point where some people are like, why does he do it? But then you would run into Bruce Keeson, or you'd run into other guys, and they did it as well. So you're like. I'm not the only one sitting at home listening to my dad talk about this five years later, ten years later, because they all did it. And and and, and, and I think you still see that. When I hear people talk about World Series from other teams, they do it ten and fifteen years later. You know, it, it's amazing that that thing is so hard to win. It, it's I think that's why they do it. And can I ask you um, how much, how proud of that World Series was your dad like as, as Pirates fans, the last World Series the Pirates won, nineteen seventy nine, and 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 
Pirates fans re- recall it so well and recall your father so fondly. How much did that mean to him as his life went on? Oh, I, I, I think that was when he did pass. I think that's the one thing he could take with him is that I was the manager of that '79 team, and I think that that was an accomplishment. I, I know on his, uh, you know gravestone there it says manager of the 79 world series champions and if, if that doesn't tell you how much that thing meant to him uh he was so proud of that accomplishment and it, it was the greatest thrill in his baseball life oh that's sensational those are sensational stories bruce I, I really appreciate you taking some time to share all these things i've always enjoyed catching up with you bruce is one of my favorite people used to be a, a pitching coach for the altoona curve coach with the buckos just a wealth of baseball knowledge, man. I always enjoy picking your brain and hearing your stories. Oh, thank you, Corey. I appreciate it very much. All right. Thanks so much, Bruce. Bruce.